Hello, welcome to You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. I am one of your co-hosts, Alex Steed. Happy Hanukkah, my friends. Uh, thanks so much for joining us. We will be joined by my fabulous, wonderful, incredible co-host, Sarah Marshall, momentarily. And we will be joined by our guest, Jamie Loftus, momentarily. Uh, it's just an absolute delight to have had Jamie on the show. We had the best, best time talking about Little Women, the 1994 film, one of the many adaptations of Little Women. But this is near and dear, of course, to many folks' hearts. This is a lot of people's favorite Little Women. Not that it's a competition. It's not a competition. We talk a lot about Greta Gerwig's Little Women. And there's, of course, like five other adaptations of Little Women that come beforehand. Maybe six. I don't know. A lot. There's a lot of Little Women on screen. But folks love this movie. Uh, Sarah loves this movie. Jamie loves this movie. And uh, they both love Alcott's books. So we talk about it all. And this was my first time uh, taking this journey. And uh, we talk about that as well. You're just going to have fun. I guarantee it. Before we get into all that, I should let you know that You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies, is made possible with your support. Thanks so much to everyone who supports us on Patreon at patreon.com slash you are good. Uh, you get bonus episodes as part of your uh, support there. And they're always good fun. We just talked about Julie Julia. Maybe it's called Julie and Julia. The ampersand is... Um, I don't know, is a little confusing because people call it different things. And I don't want to be controversial, but we talked about that movie. <laughs> we talked about that movie in the context of parasocial relationships. We talked about that movie in the context of the bad art friend phenomenon. We talked we talked about all sorts of different things, as we do in any conversation that Sarah and I have. So you can find us there at patreon.com slash you are good. And thanks to Knack Factory, K-N-A-C-K Factory, a commercial and creative video content production company based in Portland, Maine, with offices in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, though they do work throughout these here United States. If you need that sort of work done, if you need that sort of work produced, get in touch with the fine folks at Knack Factory. One other thing, we uh, put together playlists for each of our episodes. They're songs that are inspired about the movies themselves. They're songs that are inspired by our conversations about the movies. They're songs that Sarah and I love that we <laughs> want to share with you in one way or another. So you can find that linked in the show notes. Uh, hopefully you'll look for it there. This is the first in our stretch of holiday movies for December. Last year, we went hard on like holiday, capital H holiday movies. This year, we have some explicit holiday. They're not explicit, <laughs> but they're explicitly uh, holiday themed, uh, specifically Christmas themed with two of them. We have Jingle All the Way and uh, we have Scrooged. And Jingle All the Way, we're going to be doing with our friend BJ Colangelo. Love BJ. Uh, BJ is the host of the wonderful podcast, This Ends at Prom. We're also, and I don't exactly know the order of these movies because our schedules right now are a little bonkers. So, so scheduling with everybody is a situation. But just know that these movies are coming up in this month. We're also going to cover Goodfellas. Uh, we would argue a Christmas movie, a holiday movie, without explicitly being a Christmas movie. Yeah, Christmas happens in there and then for vibe we are going to cover titanic very very excited for going there all right everybody that's all you need to know right now before we take this journey with our little women so who are you staring at uh you oh i 
commit murder to go to college. He'll laugh at our action and poke fun at us later. He'll think it's only a game. Only ladies, we don't guard our conduct in the same way. We bear our souls and tell the most appalling secrets. Why is it Amy may paint China and you can scribble away while I must manfully set my music aside? Some books are so familiar. Reading them is like being home again. I'm not in love with Joe. Then how do you explain your jealousy? I envy her happiness. I feel stronger with you close by. Why does everyone want to go away? I love being home. But I don't like being left behind. At last, we're all family, as we always should have been. But I have nothing to give you. My hands are empty. Hello, Sarah Marshall. Hello, Alex Steed. Yeah, I was, somehow I was expecting a line. I don't know why. Oh, my little man. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> when we were trying to like plan what movies we were going to cover for like months, yeah, this was meant to be our like soft launch into the holiday season, and I forgot how hard of a launch this yes. is into the holiday season. Oh yeah. It's Christmas now. The first half of this movie is Christmas to Christmas, because <laughs> that's how you tell a story. It sure is. And who, Sarah, are we joined by? We're joined by Jamie Loftus, who recently was on a wonderful episode of You're Wrong About, made wonderful by Jamie. And Jamie, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so happy I'm here. Thank you for having me. And thank you for entrusting me with this movie. I feel... <laughs> A responsibility to this movie. As do I. I feel like, yeah, this is a movie where there was this funny thing where when the new Little Women, which we're not talking about, though we will inevitably talk about it some, but when Greta Gerwig's Little Women was making the the awards rounds, there was this thing of like, I think I read something about it getting kind of snubbed by the Oscars because a lot of the Academy voters were like, what's that? Couldn't get through it. Couldn't tell what was happening. What time was it? Don't know. Don't care. People either like really care about little women or they really don't. And I think everyone here really cares about little women. The Gerwig Little Women was the last movie I saw in the theater before the shit hit the fan. It was either that or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Me too. Mine was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm. What a great movie to go out on. <laughs> the last two movies I saw in theater were Greta Gerwig's Little Women and Cats, which was Beautiful. like, Ooh. yeah, I would not have wanted to go out on anything else. That is great. Before we dive in, because I really want to ask you, Jamie, about feeling protective of this movie or feeling like this is like a big responsibility. But before we dive in, Sarah, mm -hmm. can you, for anyone who's not very enthusiastically listening to this episode because we're talking about Little Women, explain what's on our hands? Yes. Okay. So <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Little Women is a book by Louisa May Alcott. And I think the way that the structure went is that she published a first volume and then everyone was like, what happened to the little women? Who did they marry? And then she was like, fine, and wrote a sequel where they grow up a few years and we get part two. And so it's a story separated by a gap of a few years, but it's the story of the four March sisters, Meg, Joe, Beth, and Amy, 
Meg is the well-rounded and together one. Joe is the tomboy who loves to write. And guess who I and uh, almost every other former little girl I know identified with. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, if (laughs) I don't know, there is an element of when Joe isn't someone's favorite. I am like, grow up, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but also I'm not judging, but also like grow up. She's the best one. She's the best one. She's the author proxy. And, you know, that character tends to get the most love. It's very hard not to love or identify with Joe. I feel like Beth is the Jesus-like one who is therefore doomed to an untimely death. She's a tragic townie. She's That's a- what happens when you <laughs> underdevelop your character. They die due yeah. to uh, exposure to the elements of not having a personality. Jesus. And Amy oh. is the young, looks-focused, and artistic one who is... Well, I guess I can't get into it without telling the whole story. So, okay. We should explain too, just super quickly, that in the... Just for reference when it comes up later, that in the movie, Amy when she's young is played by Kirsten Dunst. And when she's old, this is the only character this happens for when she's older, she's played by Samantha Mathis. And I say that because I will inevitably not be able to refer to Amy, but refer to one of those actresses. Yeah, we know, we know. Yeah. (laughs) Which is also very casting retroactively made very weird by the fact that Samantha Mathis and Christian Bale were both an American psycho. Oh yeah. Having sad Mm. sex. (laughs) Sad, angry sex. Didn't even connect that. Wow. It's weird. Yeah. Her skills were much better used in Pump Up the Volume, I think. But oh, she was great in everything. But anyway, so it's the story of them growing up in their small town in Massachusetts, raised by their mother, Marmee, and their father, who is barely in the picture because he's busy being at the Civil War. And then he comes home and he just still is a non-character and he's just barely there, which as a kid I loved because I had a dad who was fucking always around. (laughs) And so they befriend the neighbor boy Theodore Lawrence or Lori. And I mean, it's funny because like the first half of this movie, like it feels very episodic. Things definitely build to, oh my God, shit's happening all at once but it, it's also it feels like just a bunch of lovely episodes but basically they meet Lori, they bring him into their theatrical troupe where they're performing the plays that joe writes they write a family newspaper together they befriend Lori's scary old grandfather who gives beth a piano <laughs> beth that's beth gets scarlet fever from the hummels who are a german family who marmy is helping Beth gets sick at the same time that their father is wounded in the Civil War and Joe has to sell her hair, her one beauty, to get the money to send Marmy to Washington to take care of their dad. She sells her first story. Their mom comes back. Beth gets better, but her heart is weakened forever. And their father comes home. And again, like, who cares? Who cares about this guy? (laughs) He was a lot easier to like when it was Bob Odenkirk, I will say. Everyone's easier to like when it's Bob Odenkirk. I still think that was one of the most jarring casting decisions I've ever seen in my life. Because I was I was distracted for I ended up seeing that movie in theaters twice because I was so not prepared for him to enter. Seriously. There's certain actors that you're like, I would believe them in any time period. And Bob Odenkirk is obviously like the most talented person in the world. 
but him in the Civil War era, I just don't, it doesn't track for me. I was like, oh, this movie took place in 2019. That's wild. <laughs> yeah, there was the one person I was like, I can find him likable if it's Odenkirk. Like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's just their dad. But I'm on board. Yeah. I also found it incredibly jarring, but like, I loved it. And it, especially because he's doing the voice, I think, that he does in the Mr. Show sketch, <laughs> The Story of Everest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, don't help him. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's such a fun it's like not supposed to be funny, but it's so funny when he shows up. I love it. I like Greta Gerwig knows what she's doing, and I have to assume that she knew that like at least some percentage of theater goers would be like is that Bob Odenkirk? <laughs> and then he gets to be really happy about it. Yeah. It's like retroactively now the way that you feel watching Shakespeare in Love and you're like, oh my God, Ben Affleck's in this. <laughs> Soft Affleck. <laughs> yeah. So in this movie, the dad comes home from the war. He's not Bob Odenkirk to everyone's chagrin. Marmy is played by Susan Sarandon, who is always forever my Marmy. And then we skip ahead in time and everyone is the same except Amy, who is now played by Samantha Mathis, which is very confusing because they're like, everyone aged a few years except Amy, who aged 10 years and is a completely different person. And, yeah, Joe's hair has gotten longer and, and Amy is a different human. Like personality wise also. <laughs> yeah, she acts completely different. Like there's no elegant way to approach that. But I think that that I don't know, that one feels weird. So. The opening of the time jump story is that Meg is getting married to Lori's boring tutor, John Brooke, played by Eric Stoltz. With a goatee. In his awkward post some kind of wonderful years. And Lori <laughs> proposes to Joe. She rejects him. She's like, I don't want to marry Lori, but I got to do something else. And so she moves to New York City and is being romanced by Gabriel Byrne, Beth Got sick again, and Joe has to come home and see her before she dies. And Amy is in Europe being romanced by Lori, who is just not shown to good effect at this time in his life. He just basically like is a jerk, and then he marries her. <laughs> and, and he has a little goatee as well, and it's gross. It is so gross. I don't like it. <laughs> it's gnarly. Yeah. And like nobody loves Christian Bale like I love Christian Bale. But like, no, it's not a good book. <laughs> no. And Meg has babies. The dad continues to be completely irrelevant. And Joe gets, well, first she writes one of her kind of blood and vampires book, which is the kind of story she's been writing this whole time. And then Professor Bayer is like, why don't you write down these stories you're telling me about your sisters? And so she is inspired. He's like, you would if you were brave, basically, which is like an intense challenge. Yeah. <laughs> He's part of the long genealogy of men who like shame women for the kind of writing they have to do to make a fucking living. But it's Gabriel Byrne, so it's fine. It's not fine, but it's better. And so she writes Little Women. Then the publisher loves it. And Professor Bear, Gabriel Byrne, comes back to her family's home to tell her. And they kiss in the rain. The end. Thank you. That was hard to do. <laughs> 
That was great for for a movie that is like a bunch of vignettes. You just nailed it, all of the vignettes. It's, yeah. This is easier than Goodfellas. Goodfellas is going to be even harder than there this. <laughs> so, Jamie, why is this a, why is this heavy uh, like a heavy responsibility? Where does this movie exist for you in your life and your heart? I just really love it. I it was a movie that I definitely saw growing up, but not especially often. I was very attached to the book mm. growing up. I don't know. The Boston Globe did this like series of they would release famous books and you could buy them for two dollars and they were like these beautiful editions and I still have them one year they did little women and my mom got it for me and I read it and I loved it and I was like fixated on Joe and I watched the Catherine Hepburn version mm. quite a bit because I was a TCM <laughs> kid mm -hmm. by the time I I came to this one I just this is my favorite adaptation of Little Women, which I feel like I second guessed that for a little while when the Greta Gerwig first one, uh, one first came out because I really like it. But ultimately, after rewatching the three, which are the only ones that I, I know that there's like eight adaptations <laughs> of Little Women, but those are the three that I kind of ping pong around. And I think that the 1994 one is my favorite because it's it feels like soup. It just, it feels so good <laughs> yeah. to watch. And I just, I, I love, I feel like there's like a gentle touch about this movie that mm. is very rare. It makes, I think it's also like my inner New England that I'm just like, oh, it's so nice. And girls coming of age in New England, that's like genetically engineered to make me cry. And Boys next door in New England are genetically engineered to rip my heart out and throw <laughs> it in the washer. And me and my mom really connected on two because she, her senior year of high school, she directed and starred in a production of Little Women and Whoa. she really loved to talk uh. about it. <laughs> so it was just like a story that felt very present in my life. And this is my favorite version of it. That's lovely. And Alex, as a boy, like, what is your relationship to this story like? None. I read it in school. I didn't like pursue a relationship with this movie. This movie was certainly above my intelligence pay grade, I'd say, from like the age that this was aimed at beyond it not probably being aimed towards boys who are watching like Raiders of the Lost Ark or like whatever <laughs> I was watching at the time and eventually Nightmare on Elm Street. So none. Really the first time I had a cinematic experience. I've seen chunks of this on television, but the first time I had a full mm -hmm. cinematic experience with it was Gerwig's. Obviously, though, mm -hmm. all of these actors are huge in my life you know like watching Winona Ryder and everything to Gabriel Byrne and the usual suspects like these people have been in my life since I was a child mm -hmm. so spending that time with them in this context was fascinating like I was texting you about Claire Dane's face acting which I'm very excited to talk about yeah and I was like oh my god Alex <laughs> oh my god oh my god I know where was her nomination I really loved her performance in this movie so she's my favorite Beth mm -hmm. by a long shot Oh, yeah. I feel like Beth doesn't get focused on as much in the, the more recent movie. But like maybe it's also that like Claire Danes is just there will never be another Claire Danes. But like Claire Danes face acting as Beth is a meme for millennial women <laughs> and specifically between me and my best friend who I grew up watching this with. Oh. And just like her face when the Hummel baby is sick, her <laughs> yeah. face when they give her the piano, like it's like the chin. Yeah. Oh my the God. chin acting. Yeah, when the baby is sick and she's processing that it's sick. 
Yes, definitely. Yeah, like nobody can act with their chin like Claire Danes. <laughs> totally. Like as a kid who watched my so-called life in real time on ABC, like and had 19 hours Ooh. of her in his young brain, like watching this was like revisiting my preteen self. Yeah. Th- this was absolutely fantastic. Carolyn and I were watching it. We noticed how covered in wonderful carpets this movie is. This movie has like a bunch of great carpets and it feels like a nice like carpeted New England house. So it's it was perfect. Sarah, what is your relationship with this movie i think i first saw it in maybe like third grade i remember being shown it in class sometime in middle school and then my best friend in high school was like this was one of the five movies she had ever seen in her life and so it was i think probably introduced into robust circulation through that watching it now my nostalgia for it like cannot be unentwined from my nostalgia for the time when I was the age of these characters Mm. like this kind of this is my girlhood it is the girlhood that I was kind of looking at when I was thinking about growing up yeah it just feels like so intimately a part of my own little woman <laughs> when the the new little women when the Greta Gerwig little women was coming out I was like okay I'm happy that like the kids today have their own little women and every generation gets a little women and that's nice but I don't know and then I saw it and I was like this is amazing I love it so much like it, it is also special to me now I think we just have two little women which is kind of fun. Right. We just have two little women. Like, can is it possible to be in love with two little women at once? Like, yeah. <laughs> and specifically what I, I wish that I could jam these two movies together in terms of specifically one of the things I love most about the, the Gerwig Little Women is how it lets Amy speak for herself as a character because I think that she yeah. is historically mm-hmm. like underloved in a way that like that movie doesn't give people excuses to be like I don't like Amy and also makes the Amy Laurie romance really work yes. in a way that I th- I think it's kind of like a bummer afterthought in the movie we're talking about today totally yeah again as a kid who grew up with these kids when they were kids on screen mm-hmm. having Joe fall for Gabriel Byrne was so much to deal with because Gabriel Byrne's always been a grown up in my brain and just like and yeah. I understand that that's like part of the dynamic I'm sure like what I don't I have not read Little Women so I don't know. In the book he's like Zizek. I mean he's just like this bearded totally uncharming guy who's like I'm a continental philosopher. Yeah. Don't you love me? <laughs> so it, that's right on to the experience. But again, just like watching again, this person who's just been a man my whole life with Winona Ryder, who was a kid for half my life. I was just like, oh, yeah, I don't like this. Yeah. And of course, as a kid, I myself was like, hmm, yes, I like this. Go right, for it. right, right, right. It's completely on board. Speak Irish German to me. It's Keaton there. from The Usual Suspects. <laughs> it's so funny because it's like in the in the book he's so clear like once you have the little like wikipedia information that louisa may alcott was pressured into doing it was essentially trolling her own readers who were like (laughs) frothing for joe and laurie and by being like nope here's this old guy he's he's pretty hard to be around but uh, (laughs) she loves him And also, like, not to be too much of an academic about things, but it's like, we all know what Bronson Alcott was like (laughs) and how he was like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's so funny how the movies, you know, in order to make it work as an ending, they have to kind of, like, make him hot. 
Like it just never yeah. quite works because it wasn't supposed to work, but it's fun to watch like each writer director's attempt to make that feasible <laughs> or like right. it reminds of in your the episode where you guys of the Yurangabad episode when you mm. The Warrens, Ad and Lorraine. The Warrens, the Warrens when you were yeah. like, look up what he looks like, and it was not Patrick Wilson. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh shit. Yeah, I imagine you'd have to make this guy hot yeah. like Gabriel Byrne in order to get people to be okay with it. But then it's like, it's not an objection. It's a, it's a creative choice that I personally prefer another creative choice to. Because like, I'm hmm. very attached to Gabriel Byrne. I'm very happy with the Gabriel Byrne version. No notes from me. And so <laughs> I think the like, something that the Gerwig Little Women does that I think is like very smart with regards to this weird text that we have is be like, what if he was just like really young and super hot and not a, not even a tiny little bit like Zizek, just like age appropriate and everything. <laughs> and And then we kind of wink at the fact that this is like, this metatextual ending that we're putting in mm -hmm. here. And then the real love scene is Joe watching her book being made, which mm -hmm. I really like, I but also that. like, oh, I, you so know, good. I like Gabriel Byrne more. <laughs> the only other complaint, I don't want this to be nitpicky complaints and we, we can talk about what we love, but like the, the last lot, what is the last line in this movie? What does she say? He says, my hands are empty. I have nothing to give you. And she says, they're not empty now. I fucking died. I was like, no. I love that line. What's wrong with you? That's, that did make me really appreciate the meta ending of the new one yeah. where she's like watching her yeah. book. Because I was like, wow, that was really spoiled for me that that was my primary intro was like Greta mm. Gerwig's meta read on this book getting published. But anyway. Yeah. And my primary intro is holding hands with Gabriel Burns and never the twain <laughs> shall meet. <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I, I'm a yes and a no on it. Because between them, it's I don't know. It's so nice to like. I don't know, watch Winona Ryder want something. I don't know. I, I love like when she's trying to stop him from leaving. I just uh, I just want Joe to get whatever she wants. Yeah. And this yeah. is what this Joe wants. And so I'm like, well, OK, right. she better get it or I'm going to be pissed. I love it when she's like, no, I'm not married. <laughs> right. Sarah, where do we start? Oh, my God. Um, if you were to try to explain either of you. I guess more Jamie, because you've been working on this question for a lot longer. Like, what is Little Women? Like, not what is the story or what is the book, but like, why does it persist culturally? Why does it continue to matter this much? Like, how would you try to explain what it is? The appeal of it to me was always, especially like in the way that canon is taught, was taught to me in school mm -hmm. like you didn't get a lot of like coming of age stories about young women and also like young women that were making all kinds of choices mm -hmm. and it didn't feel like Louisa May Alcott was putting I mean it was clear who she was because she's Joe but I mean even though Joe is clearly obviously canonically the best character not taking any feedback about that I like grew up with all of my cousins and we're all very different and I feel like a lot of people have that experience and it's just like 
kids that want to go different ways in life. They're talking about it all the time. They all end up somewhere different. And and the book doesn't judge them harshly for that. Mm. I like that Meg and Joe want literally the opposite things from life, but still have this deep love and appreciation for each other. Mm. I don't know. It just chokes me up. I love seeing girls and women interact with each other and still like hold such deep love and appreciation for each other, even when they're like, well, I would never fucking do that. But (laughs) I love that. That reminds me actually of like of astrology. And I feel like Little Women also lends itself to just kind of persisting in culture, partly because everyone can be like, what little women, what little woman am I like the same way you're like, what American girl doll did I want? Or what's my sign? And why do I identify with that? (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of dolls, like my the the number one tearjerker scene in this movie for me <laughs> is after Beth has died and Hannah is scattering petals on her in her room and on her dolls, and then she holds one of the dolls' hands for mm. a minute. It's too much. It is too much. Dolls are good, Sarah Marshall. <laughs> <laughs> I never noticed how she kind of like I don't know the way she grabs the petals was like a little aggressive and like she's she's upset I don't know I never like noticed that before and it made me cry well Carolyn pointed out that because that might be because those the initial petals were fake Hmm. the petals that she initially (laughs) rips off she's having trouble because those are not real petals and then she actually sprinkles real Hmm. petals on there but Hmm. she was like she's having trouble with those those polyester petals (laughs) (laughs) I thought she was I thought she was making a choice (laughs) I would love to talk about Lori so much. Yeah, talk about Lori so much. I would love it so much. I texted you, Sarah, that Lori is Eli Cash. He is Eli Cash. (laughs) From the Royal Tenenbaums. Like, he so badly wants to be a part of this family that his sweet talk to Amy later is essentially that he wants to marry into the family and she's the best avenue for that right now. Very rude. This is as rude as your facial hair. This is a <laughs> this is a lot to bring on. Like, I don't know. He's so lovely for so much of the movie, but then he just has these 180 fuckboy moments where when Meg's at the party <laughs> and he shit talks Meg because she's been drinking and she's wearing a lace. I love your interpretation of that scene because it's never sat quite right with me. And I would love to talk mm-hmm. about that. Tell me about that because I'm curious about his oscillations between yeah. like being a person who I think is a lot of fun a lot of the times and then not that I don't relate to this and then is a jerk yeah. sometimes and then also really wants to be accepted into a part of a family that he loves like tell me about your relationship with him and, and your history with him okay so my relationship and history with him Alex bit of trivia Christian Bale was also in Newsies so <laughs> So I was like, oh, it's Jack Kelly with clean hair. So that's perfect. (laughs) And I mean, another one of the funny things about Little Women and about trying to adapt it is that like, to me, like one of the fascinating things about it as a text and as a book specifically is that like it, I think initially was able to be published at all and to find the kind of cultural supremacy that it did because it was I think a story of friendship and sisterhood and love and growing up kind of disguised as a series of little moral lessons and one of them is like 
don't be proud. Don't put on makeup and flirt. That's terrible. And like, mm-hmm. I feel like this movie does a really good job of putting the Susan Sarandon spin on that, which is like, it's fine to be hot. Just don't only value yourself for being hot because you got other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The addition of like the Susan Sarandon, Marmy third wave feminist platitudes in the middle of the Civil War. I'm like, yeah, sure. You know what? Great. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Thank you for because, again, I don't have experience with the text. And I was like, is this in the book? Things that she says? Because I was like, that's pretty fucking radical. (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely not. No. Which is also why another issue I have with the Greta Gerwig Little Women. And again, it's like this is just based on me being born when I was. But I'm like, no, no. Marmy is a total second wave feminist who gives little lectures about corsets. That's who she is. Not in the book, but in my heart. And also, like, the part in the newer Little Women where Laura Dern is like, call me Marmy. I'm just like, no, don't ask random people to call you Marmy. That's weird. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> don't knock it till you tried it, baby. <laughs> oh, and then another big cry moment for me. We're just going to tell this movie through, like, my biggest cry moments. I hope that's okay. I love the part where Amy gets struck by the teacher for having the pickled limes and Marmy writes a letter and then Mm -hmm. she reads the letter and she's like, what right have you to hit and humiliate a child? In God's eyes, we are all children. Like, I'm just, oh my God, I love it so Mm -hmm. much. She just wrote that in record time. Tell it, but go back to to Lori. Tell tell us more about Lori, your relationship there. Lori is like, I don't know. I feel like he's the ultimate in cute boys as seen from next door. And for the same reason, like, it's hard for him to grow up with any... Cons- like, I I imagine Louisa May Alcott having to write a sequel and just being like, oh, fuck all of you people. I have to write a fucking sequel to this thing. And then Lori <laughs> did some shit. Whatever. Leave me alone. What is your take, though, about how he responds to the, the attire at the... Uh- at the party in the book it's certainly like a little moral lesson ah uh, got it and we understand that in the movie because it's like is it sally moffat who's the one who's like i'm going to make you my pet <laughs> yes um and that she's like being welcomed into like this scary world of society girls who are also racist Lori is able to stand in for both like i'm going to be judgy about the actions of the older sister of the girl I have a crush on. Mm -hmm. And also like I'm standing for being against this kind of whole society world that we as viewers know sucks. Basically my read of him in this movie, which is what I know best is that he's like being invasive and annoying, but he happens to be right. This conversation is super helpful for me because I'm realizing like how literally I'm taking these characters as independent characters and not voices of like what the book is saying. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, and I think that maybe that is what Gerwig's movie went a little harder on was like giving the characters like full independence rather than them being the voice of the of the book based Mm -hmm. on sort of this telling. So, yeah, I think that that's where I was tripped up is like. Some of the things he does is Alcott speaking to the audience through him rather than him like living independently. What do you think about Laurie, Alex? (laughs) You heard me. I think he's a bit of a fuckboy sometimes. but. Yeah, it's so funny to think that like she was forced into this sequel thing and it just turns out that that guy sucked. 
not really suck, but like didn't become dynamic because was like a rich boy out just being rich. He's kind of like as Bruce Wayne is described, right? Like he's <laughs> he's like out like hanging out with girls, spending his grandfather's money, not taking not taking education seriously. Yes, like Bruce Wayne. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and then just like the scene where we where he comes and surprises Joe at home with Amy on his arm. Oh my god, I know. That is not okay. (laughs) I cut the lorry of the first half of the movie through when Joe rejects him way too much slack (laughs) due to mapping it on my own life (laughs) constantly. (laughs) That scene where she rejects him, she is right, but it shatters my heart every single time I see it. I have more empathy for him than I should, but it's like, he's clearly like, he's the class signifier of Mm -hmm. the movie where you meet people like this where they come from a like higher class and they want to like be able to hang people who go to harvard now essentially (laughs) right right like it's like and they want to be able to hang but they like never really can (laughs) you know there's always like just like this part of them that will respond to fuckboy stuff like it's just it's in his DNA and it's I don't know it makes me sad for him ultimately because I'm like god he's just trying to find any in he finds three of these sisters into this like beautiful family to be a viable partner for him at different points in the movie because he's just like so desperate to feel like he belongs somewhere Mm. that makes me sad Mm. as a reader that really fell in love with Joe March uh, I was like how could you not fall in love with Joe March of course he wants to marry Joe March every Everyone wants to marry her. She's the most perfect person to ever have lived or died. But then when she rejects him, he loses me so quickly because it's uh, it's so for all of the things I love about this particular adaptation, selling you on Laurie and Amy being like even remotely a good idea is fumbled, which probably has to do with the actor switch. It also feels like they ran out of time. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, there's no transition between him being like, oh, no, no, no. It's not because I want to marry into your family. And she's like, all right. Like, that's like how quickly it happens. She's like, okay. And that it just kind of keeps right. going. You're like, I'm not convinced that he's not marrying her out of revenge. <laughs> and that's not a good feeling. The Gerwig one kind of explores this more fully too it's like it's inconceivable to me for your closest friend who you have this like bizarro like deep emotional connection with even if you're not in love with them to come home and say i am marrying your sister surprise (laughs) and have your reaction be like oh great (laughs) winona writer's face in that moment is incredible Unbelievable. <laughs> and then like two minutes later in a room full of people in a not the venue moment, Amy's like, you're my sister. That's more important than a husband. Is this cool? And she's like, yeah. Like, Send a note. <laughs> it's like, yeah, thank you for asking me now after you're already married. Which you can't really undo back now. Come on. In the context of. Alcott trolling it's like well I guess nothing is off the table but it doesn't even feel like consistent with Joe's character who is like notoriously unchill to be 
unreasonably chill in the face of something that is not fair to anyone. Like, I feel like Winona Ryder is uh, attempting to tell that story on her face. <laughs> yeah, Winona Ryder does some great face acting in this as well. She's incredible. She really does. So we did a, an episode of my podcast on the on the Gerwig one and also watched this just because we wanted to. I forgot that Winona Ryder was the reason this movie got made at all. Little Women was considered like two for women to be financially successful. And it wasn't until Winona Ryder's like, this is my favorite book. I will be in it that the movie could even get made. Wow. So ultimately, I don't know. My verdict on Laurie is like, he obviously sucks, but... I get why they keep him around. Also, I thought it was interesting, like how Amy articulates, knows what she wants in a very nuanced way <laughs> from age like eight. Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't mind. I'll marry for money because, you know, it's a doggy dog world out there. Like little Kirsten Dunces gazing out a window being like, I'll settle. It doesn't matter. It's all good. I was like, wow, that's <laughs> what an incredible take as a, as a third grader. She reminds me of, Hoddle and Fiddler on the Roof being like, the rabbi only has one son, and don't I deserve the best? (laughs) (laughs) She's like, we had sausage once and had to give it away. I need some stability, and structurally, we don't have a lot of options. So I love how, yeah, overt, not overt, but like how like explicit she is about what her needs and wants are. And then also, I had forgotten outside of Interview with a Vampire, Kirsten Dunst at this age. And she's so great. And there are some parts where she's like expressing her viciousness as Amy, where she reminds me of the vampire character from Interview with the Vampire. Like she's. All she wants is to hang out with hot rich guys. Of course. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) She was a delight in this movie. That scene with her and, and Christian Bale in, in the carriage never sits well with me, but every other scene <laughs> oh, yeah. is like the greatest scene in the world. Uh, I feel like that is just like a generational thing where it's like maybe there was a point in time where this could be considered charming foreshadowing, but we don't live in that time. <laughs> I remember people talking when Gerwig's Little Women came out about like, Oh, Florence Pugh is playing Amy the whole time and she's playing like an 11 year old when she's 23. And it's like, listen, it's complicated. This is the best option. We're doing it. It really is the best option. The one thing that I did really appreciate watching this was this major moment happens between Amy and Joe where Amy angry at Joe puts Joe's manuscript in the fire. Mm. And when Amy shows up, married to Lori, I was just like, manuscript in the fire. (laughs) 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 So as far as like the messagey stuff, like the stuff that you're now saying is was added, Mm. every line Susan Sarandon has basically, did Mm. any of that strike you young? Or did, was any of that like clear or was this just like a drama to you? Hmm. I had read at least part of the original Little Women as a kid, and then I read the entire book finally in grad school in the same class where I read The Wizard of Oz, 19th century children's literature with Maude Hines, amazing course. And yeah, I feel like it was only when I read the book that I was like, oh, this is like this beautiful coming of age movie that has been adapted from many things, but is partly a series of kind of like moralizing fables. And like there's one where the girls are like, let's all have a day of leisure. And then they're like, oh, I don't actually enjoy leisure. So it's good that I don't get to have this normally. 
(laughs) 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 And just noticing one of the things that I feel like I thought about a lot in academia is this concept of like, how can we as writers or scholars or readers or whoever we are today, like access the stories that people were telling and try and understand like what, you know, without being too presumptuous about it, like what they were maybe trying to say, but couldn't escape the confines of their current aesthetic or their time period in order to express. And I feel like this adaptation believes, as I believe, that like the part about the sisterhood and the growing up, like that's what you keep. And then like the moral tales that you have to sort of cram that into in order to have an excuse to tell a story, you can kind of like let most of that fall away. Mm. Mm. I feel like something that never comes across in the movies because they're movies and, and only really hot people are in movies. But in the book, Joe is she's described as like, a normal looking kid. She's not like this exceptional beauty that, you know, she's not Winona Ryder essentially, and she's not Saoirse Ronan and she's not like every gorgeous woman that's ever played her. Yeah. I, I so deeply connected to this regular looking, but really ambitious ball of energy kind of kid who also had, I don't know. I feel like there's so few stories that I had encountered where you had this love story with Lori kind of set up to mm-hmm. some extent and to have her know herself well enough and like believe in herself enough to be like, actually, no. Right. Even in the like, whatever, this would have been the early 2000s. I would have been reading this. Even then I was like, wow, you can do that. That's nuts. I, yeah, I was just like Joe pilled 100% of the way. Like, <laughs> it's basically just Joe. And it's weird because it's for my, for my mom, it was Meg. She was Meg pilled. She was like, really? Yeah. I've never heard of someone whose favorite character is Meg. That's fascinating. Well, I, don't, I mean, I without like putting my mom's personal narrative out there too much, I think she resonated with in a very, I think, like of her generation way, like Meg wants to be an actress and she has like abilities and she has talent. But ultimately she decides, mm. well, I actually am going to choose love and security mm. and comfort over what my sister wants to do, which is like this huge risk and like Mm. I like doing this stuff but I am not willing to sacrifice security for risk and I think that that was like kind of her story and she I guess from a very young age felt that way and then was um as meg pilled as you can be I don't think it's like really possible to get meg pilled Like knowing your description of Joe is really helpful because my first experience again with this movie was the was the Gerwig movie, which is where I first ran into the line, you're one beauty, which is, again, like (laughs) one of the funniest things I'd ever heard at that time. And I didn't think it would be replicated so easily in this movie, because when Joe cuts her hair and we get the you're one beauty from Kirsten Dunst, I lost it. Well, because you're like, oh, yeah, that's Winona Ryder's one beauty. Sure. Alex. I think that every time I get a haircut, I swear to God. <laughs> Hilarious. That's a perfect line. And then also that both movies have the moment, which I love so much, of Joe crying and Beth saying, are you thinking about father? And her saying, <laughs> <Yeah>. my hair. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's so funny. I think I also like one of the things I really love about this story and love Amy for representing in a way 
more than any other character is like, yes, we're having a civil war. Yes, we're living in important historical times. But like, will I be kissed before I die? Like, I'm very concerned about this. And just like being like trying to grow into a little woman and like develop morally. And you're like, yes, I'm doing that. But also, will I be kissed before I die? Totally. I definitely think Florence Pugh is the gold standard of Amy's at present. (laughs) I feel like some people have a very strong reaction to Amy, but I feel like in this version as well, even if you would not personally make the choices that Amy makes, it is like clear why she's doing what she's doing based on how she grew up and how it's like, I feel like every time I watch Little Women I feel guilty because I'm like, God, Beth is so boring and you know what's going to happen to her at the end. And you're like, well, that's not nice. (laughs) But because I'm Joe Pilt, I really love her and Joe's relationship because that talk they have on basically Beth's deathbed where Claire Danes's face is going nuts. It's great. And they're like, I don't know, like you get that kind of first look at how Beth views herself and how she she is clearly kind of this in the Alcott sense, I guess, the the martyr of the story. And we're all supposed to learn a lesson, question mark. I forget what the lesson was supposed to be. But <laughs> don't hold a baby, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and don't help anyone. You'll die. <laughs> Never touch a German baby. <laughs> But like the way that Claire Danes like delivers that monologue of like, oh, I'm going to cry talking about it. Like the, yeah, how she like discovers her purpose and like how she's not afraid. And it's like kind of the first definitive statement about herself we ever hear her say Mm -hmm. is like that she's not upset or like, I don't know. I think it's so nice. And Joe is like wrecked because... How could you like be a sister to someone like that and not feel like the most selfish person on the face of the earth for wanting to like pursue something? Well, especially as it's set up where she's like, I feel like I do better when you're here or something along those lines. And I was like, that stung immediately because like I had a sick parent for a super long time. And anytime I had to go do me, I felt terrible about it. And so I immediately was just like, oh, that must have been very hard to hear for Joe in that circumstance. Yeah. And to your point, Jamie, what you were saying earlier about how part of the greatness here is that it's for people who are able to just go in different directions and they're all treated with love regardless of the direction that they've gone in. Like, I really I love Amy. Like, I think that it's a great character, how I've seen her portrayed two times on screen, not in the book. We're all at least partly an Amy and people who are super anti Amy are like not at peace with that is what I think. Totally. (laughs) I relate to the Amy's parts that I am and I'm at peace with it. But I also love that Beth's just like, I'm a God loving townie. And that's like what I, that's where I'm at. And that's my whole thing. And uh, I'm cool with that. You guys all do your things and I'm a God loving townie. Like I thought that that was obviously the speech is so much more eloquent and lovely than that and it's beautiful face acting <laughs> I, like that. I love that speech and I love that that is her fate in this situation like that is like what she is doing and what she's satisfied with doing in particular yeah I feel like there's like echoes of Meg's story in that too where I like that you do get to see like she really loves that boring ass guy <laughs> <laughs> Because when you see that character, you're like, oh, this this is really like screaming, settling on this guy. But you get that shot where they're like they're kissing and they they're in love and there's this little courtship. And you're like, all right, well, if she loves the boring guy, she loves the boring guy. And I'm fine with it. You yeah. know, 
thinking about it during this watch, like one of the anxieties I'm having currently as someone in my late early 30s is the feeling of like, is everyone having babies without me? Like, is that what's happening yeah. now? You're all off having babies and I'm going to be left by myself writing sensational novels and <laughs> doing whatever I do. And there's this, you know, sometimes a desire to kind of be done with the marriage plot or to kind of say like, oh, Little Women, that's a, a history novel from long ago. And it's like, yeah, like some aspects of it are we're long past it. Like we don't get to all like take our candles upstairs on Christmas Eve. Most of us don't. But wanting to grow up and wanting to welcome change and adventure and everything that it brings with it, but also wanting everything to stay the same. Dang it. And mm -hmm. like for mm -hmm. and if you're a woman, like for the other women that you love to like keep having time for sisterhood and not pair off and marry the boring guy that they love is like. It just like that'll never stop feeling true to me, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is like we're unearthing like a great secret that like Hollywood could notice, which is like just make movies about girls that are friends and then people will watch them for the love of God. They'll become timeless. Right. Like if yeah. it's moderately well made, it will unfortunately probably be a once in a decade experience and it'll become a part of the fabric of the culture. That's all I want. Did you guys see that this movie was dedicated to Polly Class? Yeah. No, I did not. I know. I was like, that is very beautiful and the most 1994 thing. Well, she and Winona Ryder had the same hometown. Oh. Uh, Polly Class was from Petaluma. Yeah. And she was murdered by a random assailant who who broke into her home and abducted her i believe and she was reading little women at the time of her death or oh, it was yeah. her favorite novel or something like that and again like this was a winona writer thing was to to make this partly in her honor wow that's a dynamic i did not see coming at all yeah growing up Seeing Winona Ryder first being apparently capable of doing anything and this dynamic, amazing figure in the 90s and then sort of disappearing from the spotlight, apparently because she stole some sweaters and then mm -hmm. just taking years and years to resurface. That was something that also taught me as someone who was kind of like entering adolescence at the time that she disappeared of like, you can have at least appear to have like so much power and make so many people so much money and they can still just get rid of you mm -hmm. when you know you reach a certain age or whatever it is yeah i feel like that subconsciously has to be at least 10 percent of your contribution of the dna to your wrong about oh yeah just like everything is for winona <laughs> right yeah and as you know like i i lived for a while in winona minnesota which is her namesake Oh. oh my god <laughs> yeah it's a great town that's so nice have you met someone who didn't encounter this or you were just trying to explain your love for this movie like what would your pitch to that person be to watch little women 94 hmm. i assume i'm talking to a guy and i would say like if you want to understand roughly millennial women like you should probably watch this and then <laughs> if you express like any literacy about this film at all then like you'll have a nice bond going or you'll at least have a better chance of that you know one of the things that holds studios back from making movies about women and friendship is this idea that like male coming of age stu stories are universal white straight 
cis, et cetera, mm. coming of age stories are universal and everything else is like this complicated niche thing that not everybody will necessarily like or pay for. And I don't think that's true. And I think that this is, along with everything else, it is a coming of age story and there's something for everybody in there. And like, if you've mm. ever felt like, I love this group of people that I get to be friends with and then life is happening to us and I'm excited about that, but also I'm stressed about how that's going to take us away from each other. Then like you can identify with this story. Sure. If someone wanted to watch it, I would be like, okay, well, I need more information about where you're at in your life right now. <laughs> it's a good movie to watch when you're kind of at like a crossroads in your life and you mm -hmm. need to be kind of reaffirmed hmm. about what, matters to you because I feel like this movie just kind of does a lot of work on that front in a way that isn't like patronizing or preachy or judgmental to the characters so I feel like whoever you see yourself in this is a good movie to watch if you're if you're a little unsure of what direction you want to take in life because people are taking every damn direction available in this movie <laughs> including dying of scarlet fever yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I will certainly watch this again, especially like having come from New England down to, to Nashville. And I don't like snow from a snow management standpoint. I don't like it from a driving in it standpoint, <laughs> but from a like wanting to be in a cozy place with beautiful snow on, you know, evergreen trees and stuff. From a vibe standpoint. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From a vibe standpoint, this is this is great. And then just also, again, being surrounded by every actor in this movie are people who I grew up with and had positive associations with in all of the media I grew up with. So it's like, mm. this really is like watching like a cozy New England reunion with friends. If not like a regular staple, it'll certainly become like a holiday staple. Yay, mm. another one bites the dust. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of know who the dad is in this movie. It's the dad. <laughs> But who is the daddy? Sarah, why don't you kick off? Okay, I mean, Gabriel Byrne is a daddy because, like, obviously, if you're courting someone, like, it is quite a move to, like, take her backstage at an opera, kiss, and then scold her about her writing. Yeah. Um, and one that I suppose I'm, like, less likely to fall for now than in my 20s, so that's nice. But I think it's Susan Sarandon as Marmy. Because, like, what a marmy, you know? Just, like, I love the part mm -hmm. where she's like, Mr. Brooke, young women are just as active as young men. And the myth of female fragility comes from us keeping women pent up, wearing corsets and doing needlework. I don't remember the line exactly, but, like, she's she's amazing. Yeah. It's a thesis statement. Yeah. And they were just like, is this anachronistic? And they were like, yeah, but, like, whatever. We're doing it. Enjoy. It's perfect. I love it. So I love her so much in this. Those transcendentalists, they, they were liable to say almost anything, right? <laughs> Louisa May Alcott definitely read Gloria Steinem. Don't think about it too hard. It's totally fine. The feminine mystique. Yeah. Oh I think I am going to go with Gabriel Byrne's character. He's a pleasant presence, but he's not an overwhelming one. He seems to understand who is the better more capable parent of the two and and uh he knows his strengths i think in the book i think the dad is the daddy mm. in this movie i think that gabriel byrne is the daddy 
Because mm. in the book, he you learn a lot more about his politics and uh, like it's referenced in the movies, but there's never enough time. I mean, whatever. I guess I'm not upset about it, but you learn a lot about his politics and like what he did as an organizer and an activist on the correct side of the Civil War. Thank God. And you sort of have a better understanding of like why his daughters admire him so much and like why some of them want to be more actively involved and He's like good daddy in the book, but yeah, it's got to be Gabriel Byrne for the movie. Well, this is such an uh, probably two on the nose take, but it's it's Joe. I'm I'm gonna say Joe because mm-hmm. this movie just could just be called Joe is the daddy, and like that's the whole, <laughs> that's just the journey that we're on. I don't know another character like this in cinema at least. Mm. So I love this character. I love I love to spend time with her as the Winona Ryder incarnation. It's really close because, again, Beth's face acting as Claire Danes is top notch, but uh, Winona's face acting in many of these scenes being a great character was excellent. So I'll root for Joe. Yeah. And she's the daddy of the movie. And like under her steam, it was able to happen. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You could also argue Winona Ryder is the daddy of the movie because without Winona Ryder, there'd be no movie at all. Absolutely. I just want Winona Ryder to do whatever she wants. And if she doesn't want to take control of Hollywood, that's fine. She can just relax. She put in her years. But like, I feel like she made some good stuff happen when she had the power to do it. She did. The fact that that class of actors like her and Keanu Reeves and River Phoenix and like the, that sort of that class of people, like we're all touched by tragedy in one way or like mm. some substantial tragedy in one way or another seemed to be outliers in how they brought that to like the stuff that they made. And that was like mm. very much part of the, the conversation in a way that was formative for me early. So, mm. yeah. So like Winona Ryder was interesting because of the roles, like her roles were always fantastic, but like her presence before she was like wiped off the scene because of whatever, that was she seemed like she represented like an emotionally deep intellectual class of performer that was very much of that time yeah thank you for existing little women (laughs) jamie where can people find you on the internet many places it seems oh all over the place i can't get off the thing uh uh, i'm on twitter at jamie loftus help i'm on instagram at jamie christ superstar and then you guys gotta come on i i have a weekly movie podcast called the bechtel cast where we look at movies from an intersectional feminist lens and then i've got some solo podcasts about the kathy comics and lolita and about joining Mensa for a year. So that's that's all my stuff. Awesome. Thank you so yeah. much. This is the most fun. Thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. This is the best. Thank you for having a candle at Christmas with us. There. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of You Are Good. Thank you so much to Jamie Loftus for joining us on the show. We are grateful to you, Jamie. We're so happy to spend time with you. Anytime, come back, come back anytime. We're grateful that you were here. Thank you so much to Carolyn Kendrick for producing the show, for making it sound great. Uh, there's a collection of songs that Carolyn produced uh, to accompany many of our episodes. It's called The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. You can find that on Bandcamp, or you can find it at carolynkendrick.com, or you can find it streaming. It's everywhere. Please look for The Music of You Are Good, Volume 1. And you can find Carolyn's other music at Carolyn 
Kendrick.com. Thank you to Lesh, to Fresh Lesh for the beats. Thank you, Lesh, for uh, making all of our transitions sound wonderful. Thanks to you for following us on Instagram and Twitter. We appreciate all of that. And thanks if you're supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash you are good. I think that's it for now. Join us next week for Goodfellas or Jingle All the Way or Scrooged. <laughs> It'll be one of those. (laughs) We'll talk with you soon.